Woo! Some powerful worship, eh? Hey, it's so great to uh, be able to come and share God's word with you tonight. How many of you watched the Super Bowl? Just raise of hands. How many of you watched the Super Bowl? You joined 96.4 million people if you watched the Super Bowl. Super Bowl for a long standing time has been one of the most watched programs of the year for many consecutive years. And some of you watch it for, how many of you watch it for the game? Like for the actual football game? You watch it for the football game? How many of you watch it for the commercials though, huh? Got some commercial people. How many of you watch it for the halftime show? Some of you watch it for the halftime show. How many of you have said, forget about it. I'm tuning into the puppy bowl. All right. They all turned to puppy bowl. Yeah. A couple of you, the, those dogs are just so dang cute. And, uh, if you watched any part of the game though, you saw the goat play, right? You saw the goat play and, and what I'm talking about is the guy who won his seventh Super Bowl. Seven. Are you kidding me? And won his fifth MVP of the Super Bowl as well. Even Jerry Rice after the game, you know, famous wide receiver for San Francisco came out and said, there's no doubt about it here. I concede that Tom Brady, quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, is the GOAT. He is the GOAT. He is the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Now, at the beginning of the season, many people had put him into a box of sorts. I mean, they kind of thought, yeah, he's old and he's done, right? <laughs> I mean, the guy was 43 years old. And so they thought, you know, he, he's just, he needs to retire. I don't know what he's doing playing one more season. And honestly, I was one of those guys that was joining that crowd. I just thought that he should have retired. Little did I know, I put Tom Brady in a box. I was very much so uh, placing faulty limitations and low expectations on Tom Brady's seasons. But Tom Brady surpassed all that and won the Super Bowl at 43 years old. I'm younger than 43. I pulled a hamstring last year playing capture the flag with my kids. I have trouble sprinting now. And the guy's out there playing with these grown men and winning Super Bowls. Are you kidding me? This is ridiculous. You know, I, I don't care. Love him, hate him, but... You can debate it all you want. Tom Brady is very much so, in my mind now at least, the GOAT of NFL football, right? He's the greatest of all times. And I love it when people debate who's the GOAT of a particular sport. You know, they debate, you know, who's the GOAT of basketball? Is it Jordan? Is it Kobe? Is it LeBron? Are we going back to Chamberlain? Or who's the GOAT of baseball? You know, is it Willie Mays or Hank Aaron or, or, or Babe Ruth? You know, who is the GOAT of those particular sports? But when it comes to the Bible, there's only one GOAT, right? There's only one who is the greatest of all time in the Bible. And there's no question about it. There's no debate going on here. It's without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is the goat when it comes to Scripture. There is no one else even close in comparison to who Jesus is. And one of the categories in the Bible that separates Jesus from everybody else is his continued performance of these miracles. And, and then John, particularly, he calls these miracles that Jesus does, he calls them signs. Because for John, they're not just simply pointing to the miracle itself, but what John is trying to do is to take these miracles and to point to Jesus and say, he's the goat. 
He, he's the God man. He is God who has come in flesh. He's something else that we have not come yet to understand, but God has revealed to us now to which we now can understand. And so John is using these signs. And in fact, he says this in John 20 verse 30. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples after John recounts all these, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may what? You may respond. You may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. That you may have life in his name. Now, John was a firsthand eyewitness to Jesus' life, Jesus' death, and Jesus' resurrection. And so what he's trying to do is he's trying to take all of us on a journey that he himself has taken as well as the other disciples have taken. He's trying to help us to understand that through time and through these, these signs, these miracles, that they have come to understand this truth. They have also come to this belief and through that, that they have eternal life. But early on, the disciples are continually putting Jesus in a box. And what do I mean when I say they are putting Jesus in a box? This is what I mean here. That the disciples early on are placing faulty limitations or low expectations on these things. Who Jesus is. What Jesus is capable of. What is Jesus' mission? What are you as declared by Jesus? Your response, role, and relationship to Jesus. And so over and over again, the disciples are placing Jesus in a box. They're placing these faulty limitations and low expectations on who Jesus is. And over and over again in the book of John, Jesus is blowing up their box. He is exploding their box. Now, this is a natural progression of understanding for any person who's taking a faith journey. And we all do this. We all place Jesus in certain boxes. And then as we grow in our faith, we come to a deeper understanding of who Jesus is. We learn more about who Christ is and we read more of the Bible. We come to church and so on and so forth. And we gain, gain in this deeper understanding and we allow Jesus to continue to explode these boxes. And so here the early disciples are going along here and they had certain understandings of who Jesus was. And Jesus continues to just blow up their boxes. He's just continuing to bust their boxes. I'll give you an example here. For, for example, many people early on thought Jesus was just a teacher. And so just as a teacher, Jesus's role was to teach and their role was to be students and to learn and so Jesus's mission was to teach about the things of God. And so that's how they understood Jesus to be. But then guess what happens? Jesus begins performing miracles and begins healing people. And suddenly their box of teacher just got exploded by Jesus because he's more than just a teacher. And so they have to reconcile. Okay, this is reality. This is true. Jesus is healing these people. And so now my box of Jesus as a teacher, I have to get a bigger box. And so now I have to put teacher and healer and I have to stuff Jesus in this box. But then Jesus goes on and he makes ridiculous claims. Like, for example, one time he said, uh, before Abraham, I was, I am. And they're like, wait a second, you just equated yourself with God. 
And so now they have to make a choice. They have to reconcile this factual information, this reality. And so now my box of teacher has been exploded. My box of teacher and healer has been exploded. And now I have this box of like, he's God. And what we find the disciples finally at the very end, and it only happens after the resurrection, that the disciples truly come to understand this reality. Jesus does not fit in your box. He doesn't fit in your box. And so the disciples the whole time and the, these other people are trying to fit Jesus in this box and stuff him down and such. And Jesus is going, oh, no, <laughs> I'm more than that. I'm greater than that. I, I, I am the God man. I'm God in flesh here and I have come for a mission. And so we come in John here to this reality where John is emphasizing that he is the goat. Now, listen, listen, listen. Oh, this is so good. Okay. We, we all put Jesus in boxes, right? We all do. It's just, it's part of our uh, faith walk and faith journey. And having these boxes, um, what we do in our faith journey is we continually put Jesus in a box and then we're continually to be confronted with the reality that is not in alignment with what we've done here of putting Jesus in a box And we offer it up to Jesus and he explodes our boxes and then we grab a bigger box and we continually find ourselves in in this pattern. Now, I don't know about for you, but this is kind of some of the ways that I put Jesus in a box early on in my uh, walk with Jesus in my faith journey. And some of you may relate to some of these here. For example, uh, one of the things that I said early on in, in my journey is I said, I don't know if Jesus can forgive me for all the sins that I've done. You ever hear that statement? I mean, I don't know if Jesus can forgive me for all the. Now, look, I've placed Jesus in a box with that statement because the reality is here. Here it is. I've placed faulty limitations or low expectations on who Jesus is, what Jesus is capable of, what is Jesus's mission, who you are as declared by Jesus, your response role in relationship to Jesus. And, and so here I am saying, you know, God can't forgive me. You know, he can forgive all those other people. Here's another way I did it. So after I realized that God can forgive me, this is one of the things I said. Well, he can forgive me, but I'm having trouble forgiving myself. Any of you ever say that there? He can forgive me, but I'm having trouble forgiving myself. And now th- this, can, th- this can feel like a righteous thing, but in fact, you're placing God in a box. I had a mentor come to me one time and he said, man, you must think really highly of yourself. I was like, what? No, I think low of myself. He said, because you're stating that what you think trumps what Jesus has already said about you. Jesus has already said you are forgiven, but somehow you're not accepting that reality and you're struggling with that reality when all you need to do is to accept the reality that you are forgiven. Forget about whether you want to be forgiven or think you're forgiven. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. And in John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Do you see how easily we can place God into a box? You ever get asked to pray for somebody and you're thinking, Oh, why did they ask me to pray for them? There is no hope for this person. This situation is dead. Like, 
man, I know Jesus does miracles, but, oh. And so you say a courtesy prayer. You know what I'm talking about? It's just like, you feel bad that they've asked you to say a prayer. You really don't believe that anything's going to change or any reality is going to move at all. But you're, you're a nice person. And so you just say a courtesy prayer just because you're a good person, right? Or maybe you just pray weak prayers. I mean, I found myself placing God in a box where I just, I just begin to pray just weak prayers. I find myself, you know, it's like Jim has cancer and I, you know, and I bow my head and I say something like, Lord, just be with Jim and, and comfort Jim and, and give Jim peace and thank you for being with him. Just love him. It's like, have we forgot that we serve a God who heals and does the miraculous? And we're praying these weak prayers. And sometimes we pray these weak prayers. Because we've prayed big, bold prayers and we're protecting not Jesus, but ourselves from disappointment. And so we pray safe, secure prayers that we know God is going to. We place God in a box. Or maybe you're like me, you're like me and you've seen the power of God over and over again. And you've seen this reality. And so, you're, you know, it's like in worship, you're like, God is great. You know, it's like, our God is an awesome God. He raised. And then a storm of life comes and you're just like, Ooh. it's like you just wilt. And suddenly you're just like ensnarled in worry and anxiety. It's like one moment you're on the mountaintop and the next moment it's like, God, where are you? Have you abandoned me? And we place God into a box. Do we not do this, right? We do this with the perspective of our world. We get tossed into just complete despair. I don't know how many times I have felt this and and many other people have heard this. You know, COVID came this year. We're all doomed. You're doomed. I'm doomed. The world's doomed. The church is doomed. It's just like, it's like we think Jesus like just went on vacation. It's like he came back. "Oh, Oh my goodness. Where did this come from? COVID. It's like, it's like, really? He's still on his throne, right? He's still the ruler. He's, I mean, it's not like he left the building, right? I mean, come on. But we place Jesus in these boxes and Jesus just continues to bust out of me. You can't contain me here. You can't do this. And he just busts our box time after time. He just breaks out of these boxes. And this is something that as a, maybe even a veteran Christian, you are going to be tempted to place Jesus in boxes. And it's just, I'm telling you, it's so easy to do. And again and again and again, you have to take your box, offer it to Jesus and allow him to just take it and shred it to pieces and just explode it. Jesus does not fit in your box. And that's good news for you and I, amen? All right, now, last three weeks, Cord has been preaching on these signs in John and he's been unpacking them for us. And so in week one, we talked about the water and wine at the wedding of Cana. And then last, uh, two weeks ago, we talked about the royal official son and that healing that took place. And then last week, we talked about the, the man who was invalid for 38 years, 38 years. And Jesus says to the man, get up, take up your mat and walk. And the man does that. Now, after this, we have the feeding of the 5,000. 
And the feeding of the 5,000 is broken up with another miracle because there's some commentary on the feeding of the 5,000 that Jesus has on the other side of the lake here. But in the feeding of the 5,000, which was actually probably a feeding of like 10,000 or maybe even 20,000, because 5,000 was just the men, right? Not including the women and children. So we have actually a lot more people. And so this is just like a crucial, pivotal moment that is coming up. This is the largest miracle as far as number of people involved that Jesus has happened. Very public, right? Not just in this little corner here, not just for this, you know, royal official son or for this man here. He's, he's doing this gigantic miracle. And interestingly, after that, they don't get it. In fact, we read here in John four fifteen. it says, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed with the feeding of the 5,000, they began to say, well, surely this is the prophet who's come into the world. So they got some of it here. But Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king, an earthly king, by force, he withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Now, there's all kinds of background stories here and, and all kinds of stuff about the idea of what the messianic uh, person would look like, what he was supposed to do. But just know this, that, that they wanted him to become an earthly king. But Jesus' kingdom was a heavenly kingdom. They wanted to be free from Rome. He wanted to free them from their sin. Uh, The mob is thinking earthly. Jesus is thinking eternal. The mob is thinking, what can Jesus do for me? And Jesus is offering himself. And it's after the feeding of the 5,000 that we come to this miracle that is pivotal for the disciples to understand who Jesus really is. And we pick it up. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word here in John 6, 16 and following. It says this, when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake. So that we're at evening. When evening came, the disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. And by now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. And so they're sent across by Jesus Jesus stays back. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat and walking on the water. And they were frightened. But he said to them, it's I, do not be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread and after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, They got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. All right, you may be seated. Thank you so much. If there was a miracle that set Jesus apart, this was it. You would think that the feeding of the 5,000 was like the showstopper, right? But it's actually this miracle that becomes the pivotal moment for the disciples to change their hearts, to change their perspective, to change their understanding of who Jesus was and who Jesus is. This is a sign, if I can say it this way, this is a box-busting goat sign. 
Do you like that? I just Okay, maybe not. This is a box-busting goat sign. The Jesus differentiates himself here. Others had parted the seas and walked across. Moses, right? Red Sea, part the sea, walk across. Uh, Joshua, Elijah, Elijah, all part of the Jordan and walked across. But nobody had ever walked on water. And what Jesus is showing here is proving that he is the goat. In fact, John is so confident about this, it appears, that he doesn't even offer any commentary on this. It's just like, yeah, this miracle happened. He doesn't offer any reasoning, any explanation. He just moves on. It's in fact over in Matthew and Mark that this is also recorded that we have to pick up even some further details. And so here's Mark 6. Same stories, just a little bit more detail. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. So Jesus has sent the disciples away. He's alone on land. He's at the mountainside and he's praying and he saw the disciples. Now, how far out are they? (laughs) He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before what? Dawn. When were they sent out? Evening. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. And they cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down and they were completely amazed. Now watch this, watch this, watch this. For they had not understood about the loaves. They didn't get it. Why? Their hearts were hardened. Jesus performs this gigantic miracles and the disciples walk away with hardened hearts and they didn't get it. It's like, what do you have to do for these guys to understand who I am? Well, evidently you have to walk on water, right? (laughs) All right. So we're going to hop over to the Matthew here. Same story, just a little bit more detail. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. They were scared. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied. So here we have the encounter, right? Matthew includes this this revelation of what Peter does. Peter replied, if it's you, tell me to come out to you on the water. Come, he said. And then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him and said, you of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. Now, notice this addition here that we have in Matthew. Then those were who, who were in the boat worshiped him. So they come to this realization. Mark says their hearts were hardened and they didn't get the last miracle. But here, after Jesus walks on the water, they begin to worship him saying, truly, you are the son of God. There was something that shifted... For the disciples here, 
Their hearts went from being hardened to declaring you are the son of God and worshiping Jesus. There is, I love this story. There's so much happening here. It's just, it, I mean, it's just amazing to me. Jesus sends the disciples off to the other side of the lake. Six mile journey. Six mile journey going from east to west. Jesus goes up to the mountain to do what? To pray. Now I got to imagine if the disciples' hearts are hardened, what's he praying for? The disciples, right? I mean, it doesn't state it, but you know, if their hearts are hardened and they're not getting it, I need those hearts to be moldable and for me to be able to, for, for them to understand who I am. The disciples set off and a strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. Most of the disciples are what? Trained fishermen or sailors. They know what they're doing out there. John says that they had rode three or four miles, just a little over halfway in the middle of the sea. And then all kinds of miraculous things begin to occur. Jesus is up on the mountainside. He's praying. And he sees them straining at the oars. Jesus then walks to them on the water. Peter gets out of the boat, starts walking to Jesus on the water. Jesus gets in the boat. Did you catch that? When all that took place shortly before dawn, when did they set off? Just right after evening time. The wind dies down and and John says they're immediately on shore. Now, if you take an average canoe, it travels about three miles per hour. This is a six mile journey. Three miles per hour, average canoe. These are professional fishermen. All right. Three miles per hour, six mile journey should have taken them two hours or less. Shortly before evening, shortly before dawn, what are we saying? 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. maybe, roughly, 12 hours. Hours they're out there straining and Jesus sees them and is just waiting. Now, here's the reality. This is for somebody. Can I just say this? Okay. I got to share this aside with you. Sometimes you're in the storm because of your disobedience. But sometimes you're in a storm because of your obedience. Let me say that again. Sometimes you're in a storm because of your disobedience and you can pretty much well figure out, you know, oh man, I got myself on this one. But sometimes you're in a storm because of your obedience. Jesus sent them. They're struggling and straining. It's dark. Jesus is not physically with them. Everything is, is against them. Things are taking way longer than they would like to have happened, Right. Buffeted by the waves, if you're in the boat, what, I mean, what kind of feelings are you experiencing? Frustration, exhaustion, maybe even anger. Why did he send us here? This is not working out. Going nowhere. Listen, if you're in a storm and you're in a storm because you follow Jesus in obedience... It can easily, you can be easily tempted to feel like God has abandoned you. He's he's not around. He's left you. And let me just say to you tonight, he sees you. He sees you. And he's coming to you. It may not be on your time or in the manner that you thought. But our God does not abandon us. Ever. All right. That was for somebody. All right. So the guy is walking on the water. 
And these guys are flipping out. They're terrified. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen something and you weren't quite sure what you saw, but you saw something and you were terrified. Uh, There was one time I left my bike out by the garage, but it was outside of the garage. And so I'm a teenager. I'm in, I'm in junior high. And so my dad comes inside. He says, Ryan, you left your bike out, out of the garage. I want you to go outside and put it in the garage. Okay, dad. So I walk out and I take my bike and I go to put it in the garage. And as I'm sliding it right beside the car, so the car, his car is right here. I have my bike right here and I look into the window of the car and there is a dead guy eating chicken. I, I drop my bike and I am scared to death. I let out one of these like teenage girl screams like, ah, except, you know, it's much higher and more loud. I don't want to hurt your ears there. I drop my bike. I go sprinting inside. I go, dad, there's a dead guy in your car eating chicken. And he looks at me and he says, uh, there's what? There's a dead guy in your car eating chicken. He's like, no, there's not. I was like, I know what I saw. There was a dead guy in your car eating chicken. He's like, Ryan, I don't know what you saw. I don't know if you had some bad pizza or what. Go to bed. And he's frustrated at me. One, because I left my bike out. Now I'm proclaiming that there was a dead guy in his car eating chicken. But I know what I saw. I saw something. And so that whole night, like my eyes were just wide open. The next morning, guess what we found? Not a dead guy eating chicken, but close. There were balloons filled in my dad's car. Evidently, one of the young adults in the church thought it would be a funny thing to fill up his car with balloons. And so I came in the garage and he was midway in a balloon that looked like a drumstick eating a piece of chicken. The disciples thought they saw something. The disciples thought they saw something just like I thought I thought I I wasn't accurate. And the disciples weren't. They thought they saw a ghost. But guess who it was? It was Jesus. It's like, how did he get here? And oftentimes we like place these disciples in like some like noble character, right? Oh, oh, I'm afraid. You know, it's just like, no, these guys were freaking out. I mean, they were probably losing their minds, flipping out. And Jesus comes to him and says, hey, don't be afraid. It's me. Now, Jesus defies the law of space, the law of time, and the law of gravity here in the story. He can't do that, can he? Well, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Jesus is not just changing the disciples' perspectives and minds, though. He's changing their hearts. Did you see that? Jesus performs this miracle not just so they can go, Oh, Jesus, that was so amazing. Jesus does this miracle so the disciples finally get who he is. 
so that they transform their hearts because they didn't get the last miracle. So they come to a point where they finally worship him and say, truly, you are the son of God. There was a shift. There was a shift in their mind. There was a shift of perspective. There was a shift of understanding, a shift in the heart. Something moved within these men when they encountered the miraculous Jesus walking to them on water. And they were awakened to the reality of who Jesus was. So much so that they began to worship him and say, truly, you are the son of God. You see, the disciples needed bigger boxes because Jesus had just obliterated their box that they had contained him in. Jesus was more than a nice carpenter. He was more than a teacher. He was more than a prophet. This is the one who would die, be three days in the grave and be resurrected and live forevermore and send into heaven. And their hearts went from hardened to worshiping Jesus. They recognized this is the goat. This is the greatest of all time. He is the son of God. So here's my question. Has your heart become hardened? Let me remind us who it is that we come tonight to worship. This is the one who, who heals the blind, who, who makes the lame walk, who, who made the mute speak, who walked on water, who raised the dead to life. And let me just remind us all, including myself, Jesus does not fit in your box. You can't contain him. He doesn't fit in your box. Okay, so later in John here, so we have the walking on water and Jesus on the other side, and he gives his disciples some tough teaching, right? Uh, And Cord's going to cover that next week here. But it says, from this time, many of his disciples, they turned back after this tough teaching and no longer followed him. And Jesus said to him, looking at his disciples, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. And Simon Peter, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Feeding of the 5,000, they don't get it. Their hearts are hardened. Walking on water, they fall down and worship him and proclaim him as the Holy One of God. Later on in the chapter, Jesus presents this tough teaching. People leave him. He turns to the 12 and he says, you guys going to leave me too? And Peter, remember what Peter did in the walking of the water story? Walked on the water also. It allowed Peter to have full confidence and proclaim, no, we know who you are. And we know what you're about. We know your mission. You have the words of eternal life. That's why you're here. You're not here for the show and games and to feed people and to set this earthly kingdom. We know why you are here. As John would state at the beginning of his book in, in John 1, 2, it says, Jesus was with God in the beginning And through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. That's the God we serve. All right. Have you boxed God in? I know I do all the time. And I have to take my box and I have to offer it to God. And say, would you just shred my box here? 
because I know that you do not fit in my box. So the question is this. Have you, have you put God in a box? Can we go back to the other one there? Have you put God in a box? And then the second question is this. If so, what needs to shift in your heart and mind? What needs to shift in your heart and mind? Sometimes I see people put Jesus in the wrong box. They think Jesus is like some cosmic Santa Claus or genie or like bank teller machine in the sky, right? We see, we see people put Jesus in the wrong box. Sometimes we see, Jesus put, we, we see people put Jesus in a distorted box where Jesus is only the judge. And sometimes that's promoted by religious leaders and sometimes church leaders where Jesus is only the judge. And so it's, you know, hellfire and brimstone and, and it's like all driven by fear and guilt. And you're just like absolutely afraid of Jesus like to do anything. Or we have this view that Jesus is only love, right? And so he's not judge and he's only love. And so it's puppy skies and Skittles and candy bars, you know, falling from the skies. It's just like, you know, I can do whatever I want and sin doesn't matter. And I can, you know, Jesus just embraces it all. And I just, you know, it's a license to sin. And so we can have a distorted box of Jesus. But oftentimes what I find people doing is just having a small box of Jesus. This is what I do oftentimes. I just have a small box that I place Jesus in. I thought of three past stories, and I'm, I'm honestly not proud to tell you these stories. So it took, it like, it took a lot of gumption within me to, like, here it is, okay? I'm a pastor and serving a church several years ago. And this guy comes in, and he's, like, he's so excited. He's like, hey, hey, my friend's coming today. I'm like, that's so awesome. I love, you know, people coming for the first time to church and such. And he says, you know, but there's a problem. I said, what's the problem? He said, he's an atheist. I said, he's, oh, he is. He's an atheist. Yeah, he doesn't believe in God. And he's coming today. I was like, oh, that's cool. You know, you know, we're a church for all people and such. The guy shows up. And I'll never, never forget. The guy comes up to me. I introduce myself. And he says, I've come to check out this. Beep. In church. And I'm like, I'm the pastor. And I'm thinking, I can't believe he just said that. Like, I'm, I'm like step, taking a step back, right? Like, like, I don't know what's going to happen here. And so I preached my little heart out, right? And we had the songs and everything. And he walks out the door and there's some other stuff that he said and, and so on and so forth. But I'm thinking to myself, sure, sure God can save anybody, but not this guy. <laughs> Come on. Have you ever found those people? Like you, you say like, oh, God can save everybody. I don't know about this guy here. Like, I mean, I can get struck by lightning too. Like I can win the lottery, but like, I don't know about. And so that was my, that was my heart towards this guy. And he came back the next week and I'm like, what's he doing here? I guess he's come to check out more beep. And so, and so he goes, and so like week after week, this guy shows up. Next thing I know, we're having baptism. Guess who's in line? Come on. Next thing I know, he's playing guitar on the praise band team. Next thing I know, I'm going, hey, would you like to be a leader at our church? I'm like, what am I doing? Like this. And God just came to me and like, Ryan, you have a small box. You have a small box small box. 
Second story. So I'm in the hospital with a, a, a good couple that we're friends with, Betsy and I. And they were having their first baby. And it was going to be a premature delivery. And they came out to us just in tears and saying, we, we're, we're just torn. We, we don't know what to do here. And they said, the doctors have told us that our baby's going to be born in a vegetative state. And they've asked us whether we want to terminate the, the baby. And so we, we talked and, and such. And they said, you know, we, just, we, we, we think we need to just have the baby. God's given us this baby. Now, man. I wish I could say I prayed some like big bold prayers and was like, God, heal this baby, you know, miraculously. And, but, but I didn't. And I just thought to myself, that's eh, sad. Man, I just feel for this. And so this guy's like praying his heart out, right? This dad is like praying his heart out and just like weeping. And, and, and I'm just over in the corner thinking, oh, this is so tragic. So tragic. Well, guess what? That baby was born with some issues, two days later, most of those issues went away. You, you see what I'm saying? We place God in boxes and God just wants to go, you know, get rid of that box, Ryan. That was my nice Kung Fu moves, by the way. All right. Third story. I have a, a couple that comes in for counseling and I'm talking to them and most couples, you know, I, I just, you know, want to encourage them. So I encourage them at the end. But as they left, I thought to myself, "Woo! seen a lot of couples, counseled a lot of couples, but yikes. Ain't no hope for this. Like we might as well just ship them over to the divorce care side right now. You know what I'm saying? You ever meet somebody like that? They start to share stuff and just like, oh boy. Mm. <laughs> Woo, doggy. And, and I thought, there's no way, no hope for this couple at all. But they both turned to Jesus. They humbled themselves. And God saved that marriage. Oh, God, he's... I mean, when are we going to realize he's just in the business of taking dead things and resurrecting them? Like, that's, that's what he does. All right, here we go. What feels hopeless to you right now? Where are you feeling despair? What storms are you in that you are experiencing worry and fear? Are you praying courtesy prayers and weak prayers? What are you straining at that you've done in obedience and now worry has encapsulated your heart? What situation feels impossible? Have you convinced yourself that God cannot use you to do great things. What box have you placed Jesus in that Jesus just wants to bust out of?
Listen, he sees you. God is present and he is here. And maybe just after service, you just, during this prayer time, you just need to just search your heart. Because I know the reality, it's so easy to just have a hardened heart. It's like a moldable heart and then just stuff happens and it's just like, ooh, where did that come from? And God is inviting you to take your box and offer it up to him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are, that you are a God who doesn't fit in our teeny tiny little boxes. That you call us to you call us to know who you are as how you've identified yourself through scripture to us. Lord, sometimes we, we place you in a wrong box. Sometimes we place you in distorted boxes. Sometimes we just place you in a small box. And Lord, I ask that, that you would search our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would work in our lives tonight to just call us out. That if we've grown hard-hearted in any way, that if we've begun praying small and safe prayers, that we've just been praying prayers of courtesy, that we, if, we, if we're looking at a situation going, just, Lord, that you would awaken our hearts to the reality of who you are, what you do, what your mission is all about, who you declare us to be. Lord God, do this work for your kingdom and for your glory. And we give you all the praise and glory and honor for you alone are worthy. Amen.